Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Seahawks fans, wherever you may be, welcome inside the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alfstead, and featuring Seahawks sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers. Hello and welcome into the Hawks Playbook Podcast. This week's show covers the uh, big win in the Big Apple. I am Bill Alpstead, your host, and here with co-host Keith Myers, also football editor and writer extraordinaire, Mr. Myers. How you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm here. I've got my coffee. I'm awake. I'm ready. I know. You know, we could start this really, really early and just be done with it by the time, you know, the, all the kids need to go to school and all that stuff. We'd have our <laughs> complete day to just completely mess around on Twitter. True, and we'd be really boring because all you'd have is me is like <laughs> drooling on the microphone. So that's funny. <laughs> and you actually have a beer called Moose Drool, don't you? I well, I have a I have one called Caribou Slobber, which is Caribou a, Slobber. Okay, Moose Drool, Caribou Slobber. You can you can understand Car- how I would get confused. Caribou Slobber <laughs> is a clone of Moose Drool. Moose Drool is a commercially available beer. Okay, that's where I'm at fault. Sorry. I would not want to confuse your beer with a commercially available beer. <laughs> <laughs> They're so, both good, so whatever. Yeah, they they were they, they are. <laughs> I don't think I've tried the the uh, the moose drool though. I've tried yours, and yours is fantastic. So, so uh, in this week's show, we're going to go over the game. We've got a, a lot to talk about in that respect. Um, about halfway through or three quarters through, we're going to uh, queue up the Texans game coming up at home against the Seahawks this week. and uh, But first, before we get to all that, we've just got a couple of uh, tidbits to talk about uh, in the news. Um, looks like the Seahawks are looking at bringing in Dwight Freeney for a look, possibly um, uh, a medical exam just to kind of see where he's at and see if he would be a good situational pass rusher for the Seahawks moving forward for the next 10 games. What do you think? Well, I think that he is historically one of the best pass rushers of all time, but I'm not sure how much he's got left in the tank. That's why he's out there. Um, he's, you know, getting pretty old, but, you know, they're, they're losing Cliff Averill, and they've replaced Cliff Averill's starting position with Frank Clark, which has not Fine. been a downgrade in any right. way. Um, but they, what they need is they need someone who can come in for... 10 to 15 snaps a game on obvious passing situations get after the quarterback and give guys like Frank Clark or Michael Bennett a rest because those guys can't play 100% of the snaps. And, you know, it comes down to money and, you know, how much he's got left in the tank. But 
he, I don't think they're going to know. Pedigree. I don't so. think they're going to know how much he's got left in the tank until he steps on the field and tries it out. I mean, that's the problem with these sort of things. He hasn't played since he was uh, not since his last game, which was last year. So, I I'm not sure. I mean, to me, and I'll talk about this a little bit later in the show too. We've got a guy, Brandon Jackson, that's came on to the team recently, and when given the opportunity, he's played well. And, and showed very well. And I would be way more interested, I think, in developing that prospect just from a cost value standpoint for the franchise. What do you, what do you think? Well, I don't Or are they two different know, players? They are. I mean, they, they are. But there's room for both uh, on the roster and in the rotation. Uh, to me, what it comes down to is, are you willing to... Go, you know, look at this season and say, well, what happens if if Bennett or Clark gets hurt and you need another you need another pass rusher? Are you comfortable with going with Jackson as the guy? And, you know, this is a Super Bowl team, at least one that wants to go in that route. Um, Are you willing to. Are you willing to uh, take your pass rush and put it in the hands of this unknown guy? Uh, or you, or give it to a guy who had three sacks and sixteen starts for the, you know, last time he played. True, but he only played you know a few snaps per game uh, because of his age. So they let him start because he's got a name and he's Dwight Franey and and you know he's a Hall of Famer when he finally hangs him up. But he didn't play him that much. He came he he would start, but he was playing ten to fifteen snaps a game. So. It wasn't a, a situation okay. where he was all over the place. Let me ask you this. So we could have a situation. Uh, let's say we sign Freeney. Let's say we find a way to keep Brandon Jackson. Um, so that's a that's filling a roster spot that exists currently, so we don't have to release anybody, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Agreed. So what happens then if, say, a Shed comes back or Malik McDowell is available and is added to the roster? What kind of moves do you see the team having to make in order to accommodate the addition of, of those players? Or do you think Dwight Freeney then becomes one of those guys that they may just toss? Well, it, I think we're in a position where we you make the move for now and then worry about the other thing when it, when it happens. Because um, when Shed, McDowell, um, Deion Jordan, when those guys get become available, the Seahawks will be given a roster exemption for them for two weeks. So that you still have two more weeks before you have to make that decision. And then you just wait because there's a good chance it's it's football. It's the NFL. Somebody's gonna get hurt between now and then. And well there's your roster spot because you could just deal with it that way. So another intriguing player came up in the news this morning as being available, uh Byron Maxwell former Seattle Seahawks defensive back released by the Dolphins. Just didn't work out anywhere other than Seattle for that guy. So the logical thinking in Seahawks land is, well, if it worked out before, it could work out again. Brian Maxwell is available. He doesn't have to clear waivers. What do you think? I don't think that it works for Seattle because I don't think that you have need, cap space, room on the roster. Um, you have uh, Jeremy Lane coming back from injury. You have Shed coming back from injury. You really it's pretty don't loaded need... back there. Yeah, yeah. This, this, it's so good. It's such a good 
uh, position group for Seattle already. And then you're bringing in a guy who has had... Would you give um, up Nico Thorpe for Byron Mack? I know, I know they, that Nico is primarily special teams. A special teams. Right, but would you give a roster spot up to get no. Maxwell on the team? I would Just, just um, because. then I mean... I wouldn't. Uh, and it it's partly because he's had one good year since leaving Seattle, and that would be last year in Miami. But even that year in Miami didn't get him any... Uh, leeway with that coaching staff like they you know they benched him quickly and now cut him I mean even so, after having a good year so it's to me you look at that and you go okay what do, what does Miami know uh, that we as fans don't know sure um, how much of his good year was was it just not as good as well, we let thought me, well let me so, ask you this uh, he was okay in Seattle but mm-hmm. Seattle let him go did not it, choose to sign him to a multi-million dollar contract when he did leave seattle passed for a reason is and those reasons would still seem to make sense to me for the contract that he was able to get but Mm -hmm. at this point 10 games to go in a season seems to me that byron max will be probably willing to come back for the veteran minimum, I would think, unless he's looking for a two or three year deal out there that some team might give him um, to make sure that they uh, retain his rights after this season. But logically he could probably play for somebody for the remainder of the year and become a free agent in the off season. I, and I don't know. I mean, it, it seemed like it would be a good fit in Seattle. He's already been here. They, he does well. He, he gets along with all the players it's one of the, you know, not the not a founding member of the Legion of Boom, but he was the second generation Legion of Boom member. Um, it, it seems like it could work for the right price, but I don't know what you would have to give up to do it. So that's that's the hesitation. Well, the reason why part of the reason why I just don't even think it's an option, despite the fact that Seattle fans will really want uh, it to happen, is that they. The Seahawks are not going to be able to compete with either of the Bay Area teams um, as far as financially and in terms of need playing time because both uh, Oakland and San Francisco run a version of Seattle's defense schematically. Both of them are desperately in need of cornerback help, and it just makes way more sense that he's going to end up on one of those rosters. True. And maybe, but maybe he's at a point in his career where he wants to play for a contender again. Um, it, it'll it'll be interesting to see where he ends up landing. A um, couple other things. Uh, I just wanted to briefly talk about uh, before the we get into the meat and potatoes of the of the show. Talk about the situation with Doug Baldwin, where he kind of shoved Cable on the sideline. We kind of didn't see the entirety of the uh, lead up to that moment. And then it kind of broke away before it was completely finished. So we don't really know firsthand all the details. We just know that Doug Baldwin came out and apologized, accepted 100% responsibility. Pete Carroll came out and said, I put him in a a bad situation. Um, And so, and it really stemmed from the fact that uh, Baldwin wanted to allow Wilson to have a leadership moment with the offense. Um, and then Cable was going to come over and started talking over that and interrupted what was happening. And so uh, Baldwin, in the heat of the moment, just kind of let his passion get away from him. But I, I probably don't think that you you didn't you didn't really mind the shove. 
part. Me personally, no, not one bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, but you, you gotta, (laughs) there's some, somebody needs to step up uh, within the team and, um, you know, make Tom Cable be accountable for some of the decisions he's made and some of the play by his group and his unit and that kind of thing. And if, if, uh, if Baldwin's the guy who's going to do that, fine. Let's let's do that. Um, I'm okay I agree. With that, so. <laughs> I agree. I don't think it was that big of a deal, but it did ignite the team, you know. And uh, to me, that showed just how much of a leader Baldwin really is. Now, some people may not agree with the, the tactic there, uh, but it was highly effective, and uh, he's been effective in other ways as well. And it seems to me this is this is. Bobby, this I was just going to say Bobby Ingram. This is uh, Doug Baldwin's <laughs> team. You know, I mean, you can say mm-hmm. it's Russell Wilson's team, but man, Doug Baldwin is the heart and soul. Well, he is trying. I don't know if he's trying, but or if he just is naturally doing this. But he is kind of stepping into a role that Marshawn Lynch reluctantly had in the past, where he's trying to be a tone setter. He's trying to be an igniter, a guy who. Um, the team feeds off of. And that was Lynch. It was Lynch in the past, but it wasn't Lynch through leadership and sideline antics and whatever. It was just because he would go out there and literally run people over and it just fired everybody up where now they don't have that aspect. So, you know, Doug's out there and he's jumping up and down and he's making noise and he's making huge, uh, impactful plays for the team and getting everybody fired up. So it's, it's, it's a needed element in to Seattle's roster, and he's fulfilling that part of it. I have one more little uh, tidbit headline. Are you ready? I'm ready. The Seahawks ran a traditional screenplay this last they game, and they it was and a, it was successful, except for Rawls ran a, outran his blocking. Yeah, he it left a lot been, of yards on, he the, did on leave the field. There, yards on the field. That was a <laughs> well designed play, and you know, just looking at a play like that, it seems like. That would work a lot in our they, with our offense because our line is so our line is so porous poor. anyway. Yeah, the the defenders are used to getting into the backfield quickly, so they don't tend to notice that it's <laughs> that they're just on automatically purpose. being allowed uh, to, to come in. Yeah, yeah, the, they don't they, they're not they don't notice that it's on purpose that they're not blocked, and so therefore they do what they're supposed to do and get beat. Uh, the problem with it, and the reason why Seattle doesn't run it much, is that Wilson, it, it, this is a, a Russell Wilson issue. He has a hard time getting the ball to the to the running back uh, because he has to throw it up over the top of the defenders a little bit. And he, it's just not where his skill set is best. Although they ran it, actually ran the play twice, um, slightly different versions of it, but they ran it twice. One went for a lot of yards, although Rawls made it less effective than it could have been. And the other one, God, there was a lot of real estate in front of him again, and, and Rawls just flat dropped it. Yeah. So There were a few drops in this game that were aggravating. I mean, that oh, uh, Jimmy Graham drop on the side sideline, he was just he had nobody within 25 yards of him. Oh, yeah, he catches that, and he's got the free safety, which will meet him about the three-yard line. Yeah, and, good luck, right? And, you know, just who get, who wins that collision, whether or not it's a touchdown or whether the ball's at the one, right? So, it, I mean, that's, 
That's how open he was, and he just flat dropped it. It hit well, him in the hands. What do you think about Jimmy Graham in this game? In fact, the whole season's just been like this, where he's dropped a couple, and then he's come back and redeemed himself. Um, he can't put it all together, though. I mean, he's had maybe one complete game where I think everything pretty well went his way, but everything else has been really hit and miss, and, and the misses are really bad, and the timing is really crappy, and we need his yardage, and... You know, he has plays like that. And then at other times, he's he's picking up real good chunks of, of yardage and uh, making plays and running over people. And I just don't know what to make of him this year. Yeah, it's very frustrating because he, you know, I mean, he had a touchdown. So it's like, it's not like he was doing nothing. I mean, he had he, he had a key touchdown in this game. He also dropped a, key a touchdown. touchdown. Right. Right in his um, basket. Right in his basket. Yeah. Yep. I mean, the ball was a little low. I think he was expecting it high and it came right. low. Um, so there, you know, it's not like it, it wasn't a perfect pass or anything, but it, it was fourth down. You make that play. Just make the play. Just catch the ball, get the touchdown. This is a, it was a very different game, uh, throughout if he, yeah. if he catches either of those two passes. Yeah. And you could say so, that on a number of different plays. I mean, Russell Wilson also had a couple of overthrows that would have accounted uh, for about 150 yards and a couple of other TDs. I mean, Wilson could add a monster game. I mean, monstrous, <laughs> like close to 500 yards and five TDs. Monster. Yeah. He, he overthrew uh, Doug Baldwin on one where Baldwin was 10 yards beyond uh, the last defender. I mean, it's a, if he, if uh, Wilson throws at about two yards shorter, it's it's a home um, run. Oh man, it's just a beautiful pass catch touchdown. And then there was another one to um, Tyler Lockett, which very similar, just a little yeah. bit too far. And it's it's weird because usually Wilson's very good with those kind of throws, but this year he's overthrown quite a few of them. So yeah. I don't don't know if there's you know just something a little off or he's just not seeing it well or yeah in or the what's past he's had a lot more precision and it seems like he's just chucking them mm-hmm. this this year it seems like it's kind of one of those things where I can imagine he's looking at the spot he thinks he's going to throw to and he just closes his eyes and he just chucks it you know as opposed to just really taking taking the time and just dropping it in there like he should I don't know. Um, Nonetheless, you can't take anything away from Russell Wilson in this game. Uh, he, he was lights out crazy, 375 yards, three TDs, 121 passer rating. Uh, a lot to like in this game with Russell Wilson. Even in the first quarter, second quarter, where we were still moving the ball. I mean, we moved the ball 220, 222 yards in the first half and only came away with three points. I mean, a lot of that is... Because of the one drive, right? There they had a uh, 16 play drive, got down to the goal line, had 10 shots to punch it in. And yeah, could we had, not, could, yeah, we had like 12, 12 plays inside the 16 yard line. Yeah, 10 plays points. inside the 10, zero yeah. points. Um, and, and that's that's painful because you had in that section, you had uh, a couple of runs get stuffed because there's no run blocking. You had the Jimmy Graham drop. You had the fade pattern to Jimmy Graham where Graham was turning inside and the ball yeah. went outside and he had to like and turn he would have if that would have been a good cat or a good throw it would have been a touchdown. Well, I don't know if it was if it was not a good throw or if it was not a good route because you have 
Graham turning inside when all that space was on the outside. And, and that's why Wilson threw it out there was to the, um, you know, to that, to the space in the corner. If, if Graham turns the other way and looks back over his other shoulder and peels outside like you're supposed to, it, that's just a drop in the bucket for him. And it's an easy touchdown. So I don't know if it was a bad throw. I think it was a bad route uh, on that case, but it's just, there's, it was just such poor execution. Like I know people are talking about, you know, for some reason, Seattle fans just love to, to talk about the play calling, but there, there were of those 10 plays, you know, two of them were penalties. That's why they got 10 plays inside there, inside the 10, but there were probably four or five touchdowns to be scored. Had, um, players just executed. If Jimmy Graham catches either of those, or if, you know, guy makes a block on it, on the running plays, there, there are plays to be made and they just weren't being made. Yeah. Obushi, uh, had a horrific play down there where, um, Lacey was, was slammed two feet behind the line of scrimmage on a goal line play. I mean, mm-hmm. really? And that's, he's just standing there yeah, watching the guy that do. he lined up against. Um, I don't even understand. I mean, it's just, uh, just looking at it. It was like, what are you, what were you thinking? I mean, and who's making that line call, you know, and what, what are you guys communicating? I mean, it's just that, that sort of thing is really frustrating for me because those are all things that this team at this point in the season should have completely down 100%. I agree. It's, and it's one of those things where you look at and you go to me, it's hard to tell, but just based on everyone's reaction, it just looked like Abushi just got beat. Like whether he was off balance, whether he didn't anticipate the snap count and the, the defender moved and was in position before Abushi did, but he just got beat one-on-one and may, just had just completely whiffed on a goal line play. So you're you're only blocking the guy right in front of you. And you just, you can't have that. It was, it was pretty bad. So really there's only one other bad thing about the entire day, and then everything else is going to be positive that we talk about, I think, for the most part. Um, CJ Procise uh, tweaks his ankle on his second play versus the Giants, and he's out was- again. It was his second play? I think I read now that they, they clarified. At first it was he was only in for one play and hurt his ankle. He was in for two plays, hurt his ankle. See, here's the thing. is We got the announcement that he had hurt his ankle. It was questionable return, which meant he wasn't going to return. Um, I hadn't even noticed him in the game. I thought, well, maybe, I didn't he, was in, maybe he was in on a special teams play yeah. and tweaked his ankle. I'm like, what is going on with this guy? And... Yeah. It's very, very frustrating. Uh, yeah. I don't know even what to say because he's a great talent, but he's just going to be one of those guys that can can never see the field. you know. And at some point, the Seahawks will have to move on from him because they can't afford to have a guy like that on the roster. Yeah, he's taken up a roster spot. And you know, basically, they had to play the game with a 45-man roster instead of a 46-man roster because there's a guy that was... Uh, not really expected to play, but kind of the last second uh, got himself active and then lasted apparently two plays and then was gone for the rest so of the didn't, game. didn't you say something on Twitter about it where, like, you know, Seattle's going to release him and he's going to go on to play for somebody else and never be injured again or something like that? Well, it, it, it's, that's just Seattle luck, right? I mean, it's it's more Mariners luck than... Um, then Seahawks luck, but it's, that's how how it works with injuries in in Seattle is guys like this. They're just completely, well, look at Russell Okung has that for a good example. I mean, he, 
was always hurt, just always being stepped on, picking his ankles, never available for 16 games. He leaves Seattle, plays all 16 games for Denver, hasn't been hurt in San Diego. I mean, it's just the way it works for, for Seattle fans. So I think this week, I, it seems like every week we've kind of been paying more attention to the offense than the defense. I want to do the opposite today. I want to start with the defense. Absolutely. And, talk, this was an incredible defensive performance by the Seahawks. Yeah, it really was. I mean, there were all sorts of stats that pointed um, in Seattle's favor in this game. But, you know, Seattle's now, again, the number one uh, scoring defense, um, the only TD uh, that Seattle allowed was on that uh, Thomas Rawls fumble recovery at the 17-yard line. They threw it in on mm-hmm. a missed assignment in the end zone. Other than that, the Seahawks just played so tight. I mean, we only allowed 177 total yards. Uh, the Giants never gained any more than 20 yards on any possession until the fourth quarter. So it's 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 just it's it's good. It's really Eli- good. Eli Manning had 17 passing yards in the first half. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's not bad. That's seven seventeen. That's, yeah, that's not bad for Seattle's defense, is it? <laughs> not at all. <laughs> um, now, part of that when 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 Seattle's defense is putting together performances that are that are statistically just crazy. Yeah, part of it part of it is. The offense had that 16-play drive that right. lasted almost eight minutes, gave the defense a nice rest. This our, The defense was fresh throughout the entire game. They weren't out there just, you know, uh, getting tired and, and getting run down, which is what's happened in other games this year. Um, and when that defense gets a chance to just pin its ears back and go after a quarterback yeah. and be fresh in doing it, wow, it's just in what a fun fun game to watch. I mean that was just crazy good. Well, and it's it in this time of the year, game, you know, 7th week, 8th week in the season, uh you're now able to kind of see the trends, see where the team is going to be. Um and we're going to be a number 1 defense. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. I mean, Seattle's defense outside of say the Titans game is allowed uh, just over 12 points a game and 280 yards. And they've not allowed more than 18 points in any of the other five games. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, Titan, that Titans game was definitely an aberration. Right. Just, so now, now you can say that. Now you can say, you know what? Maybe the Titans game, that was the heat. It was the travel. It was whatever, whatever. Um, because on an, any given day, in fact, I think if they play the Titans at home, they beat the Titans. You know, it's just one of those deals where sometimes things just don't line up. Um, but everything else, I mean, Richard Sherman, talk about Richard Sherman for half a second. Over the last three games, he's had 10 targets, two catches allowed, 17 yards allowed, and two pass breakups. And they just aren't even throwing to him. They just aren't. That's three games worth of, you know, probably 120 passes against our defense because teams need to throw against us to, to try to beat us. So there's a lot of passing attempts and our, on our secondary is just the best in the NFL. It just oh, is. Yep. And, and Richard Sherman's still at the top of his game. Yeah. And uh, you look at that and there are times in that stretch. I mean, not this week, but in that three game stretch where the pass rush wasn't getting to the quarterback and, but you still have so the quarterbacks got time. They've got the ability to step up and 
step into their throws, and they're still not completing passes to Sherman's guy. Yeah. Uh, and that just tells you how sticky he's been in coverage and how good it's been. It's been a really fun um, film to watch when I get it, you know, when the all 22 comes out and I, I go back and watch when the CX are in defense, I tend to ignore Sherman when I'm doing my film study because I know he's good. I don't have to like watch, but then it's kind of fun to go back and rewatch again and just watch him or just him and Earl Thomas. Cause you're watching, if you're watching in the back yeah. line, and the, both of those guys are so special. They're so much all, fun. All pros, them. all pros, not just pro bowlers, all pros. Yes. And then Shaq Griffin. I mean, Shaq, in this game, Shaq Griffin had seven targets and allowed three receptions for 17 yards. Mm-hmm. And Coleman is playing Col- really well. I don't even Coleman's- know how Lane can get back on the field. Yeah, uh, Coleman has stepped up and has been much better much quicker than I think we all expected. And I noticed he had a little swagger to him in this last game. Yeah, he was, he was hitting guys and he, you know, would bounce up and, you know, have that little celebration and, and he was really into it, really emotional. And that's good to see because he's, you know, he's a, he's a guy who joined the team for week one, wasn't here during training camp. He's kind of learning the Legion of Boom uh, thing as he goes. And as he's learning the system, because he, you know, they came from a very different uh, defensive system in New England before the Seahawks traded for him. So he's having to learn, have to having to to adjust. But man, he looks like he's just flying around out there and playing well. You know, and and the the really cool thing about all of this, uh, just not the Giants game, is that Seattle's played four of its first six games on the road, mm-hmm. and it's they, it's four and two out of that. And they've and got they the next two six, in a row. Two in a row at home and the next six out of the last 10 of the, of the season at home. Yep. It lines up real favorable for us. I mean, I would be disappointed now. We always talk about maybe readjust, readjusting our expectations. I would be disappointed if we didn't see 11 wins out of this team. And possibly yeah. it's still 12. I mean, it's still possible if we can It's definitely possible. Here. If the offense stops shooting itself in the foot and executes the way that it did in the second half. And really the way it did it did between the 20s um, in the first half, yeah, there's there's no reason to think that this team won't just run up a whole bunch of wins. Well, I was going to save the schedule for a little later because I was going to talk about the remaining games, but let's do it right now. So we've got Houston at home, mm-hmm. um, and then Washington at home. Okay, so Houston is a 3-3 three and three team. Um, I think they're better than their record. They're, they're better than the, because they've lost against teams that they probably should have lost against, and they've beaten teams they probably should have won. Mm-hmm. They're a three and three team, but they could possibly be four and two. Um, they've had yeah. a couple of close games if you look at their scores. Um, the Washington game, I, we should take care of business, no problem there. At Arizona, <clears throat> Arizona is just not a good NFL team right now, and they lost Carlson, Carson Palmer for the year. They're even worse than they were. Uh, Atlanta. At home, that's going to be a really key game. That's an ESPN game on a Monday night. Um, that's going to be an outstanding game, I think. But I think that we take care of business against Atlanta. I mean, there's no reason that I don't think that we should. We're at San Francisco. Um, I think that's a close game in the first half, and we pull away in the second half. Philadelphia at home. Um, Philadelphia had a really bad injury this week uh, to Peters, their left tackle. Looks like he's going to be done for the year. Yep, ACL and MCL injury uh, yeah, was it's, what it's, was reported this morning. That's, that's real tough. And then at Jacksonville looks to be a lot tougher of a game uh, at this point 
than it did at the beginning of the season when we made our predictions. Uh, looks like they could definitely lead the league in sacks this year. They've got a, they a really good defensive front. They had 11 sacks this week. 11 in one game. There are teams that are that are right around 11 sacks on the year. Yeah. As a team, <laughs> they had 11 sacks in one game. That's, that's impressive. I mean, that's, uh, that's Calais Campbell... Uh, making everybody else on that line better is what that is. Well, the only good news out of that thing is it it is on the road and it's December tenth. So the alternative could be a you know really wet, soggy game at at in Seattle. I'd I'd prefer that, but they'll be playing in the probable sunshine against Jacksonville. I'm not sure about that game. You know, I think you could probably take uh, um, a team like that and use the aggressiveness on their on their line against them. And I think Seattle will will do that. Um, the LA there's Rams. Also, there's also the car. There's also the um, Blake Bortles effect in that game. Yeah, and and we're we beat up bad quarterbacks. We just do. Yep. And so you have when you have good teams with bad quarterbacks, that tends to go against certain teams because the you know the 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 talent level wins out even with the bad quarterback. But against Seattle, their de- defense is so good. The bad quarterback play, I think, will. Um, be a, a deciding factor, but yeah, we I mean, got, that's still six weeks away. So yep. we'll have time to figure that out. Uh, LA Rams at home. Um, that's going to be a key ends up being a key division battle and uh, conference battle. Uh, that Rams game Rams are just better than anybody thought that they would be, but they still have Jared Goff as quarterback. And I don't think Jared <laughs> Goff is as good as people uh, as the team would, the team's record would dictate that he is. I think he's got some susceptibilities there. I think he likes to wing it. Uh, I think he's susceptible to interceptions and mistakes. Um, but and it's at home, so I see Seattle winning that game at Dallas. Dallas doesn't look as formidable as they may have been at the beginning of the season, but they could come on. You never know. And then finishing out at home against Arizona, I still look at this that schedule right there. And I could say, yeah, we could lose a couple of those games. But other than that, we should be favored in every one of them. The only one would be possibly Philly. Uh, that's the one that I think. That's at that home, though, on Monday night. What's our record on uh, on primetime games, Keith, in, in the Pete Carroll era? Just to Forget c- the Pete Carroll era, era. Look at it from historically. <laughs> well, historically, the we're the, the best. Yes. The best Monday night team. Uh, I think Monday Pete's like 12 and ever. 1 or something like that, right? Yeah. So... What was your earlier statement about Philadelphia? I would say that's the, that's <laughs> going to be the one. Well, the thing is, I said that that there is probably the one game where they're going to be um, Seahawks are going to be underdogs, just because. No, don't you yeah. say that out loud, Keith? <laughs> <laughs> you got to you got to remember that being underdogs. So you've got to tell me betting we and not has Houston, to do with what's going on in the field. If we beat Washington, if we beat Arizona, and we beat Atlanta, and we beat San Francisco, we're going to be underdogs against Philadelphia. What? Okay, you're talking about them go- Seahawks going in on an eight game win streak. You're right; they won't be. But do you expect them to have to be on an eight game win streak going into that game? I don't expect them to lose more than one of the next one, two, three, four, five games. Yeah. So, but yeah, so they're going to lose a game in there. And I think that that's going to change the way people look at it. And so they would be coming in at seven and one. 
What? So they would be seven and one over their last eight games. So that would change the perspective. A little bit because you, when you don't have that like run, because uh, you got to remember that when we talk about underdogs, that, that's about betting and that's about perception. And you're talking, the, the lines are set in order to manipulate uh, the bets that are made. Not They're not predictions about who's going to win. They're about manipulating the bet. And so when you have, it's all about perceptions and it's all about the fact that you have this classic NFC East um, power. And those teams tend to get bet more heavily on. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's about that kind of stuff. So you, when you factor all of that in, I do think that unless Philly takes this, you know, a turn and comes back down to earth a bit, you're going to see Seattle probably be an underdog in that game. So uh, getting back to right now um, with, the, with the team, let me just run a couple players by you and you give me some instant feedback. Uh, Riso Diombo. He is continuing to struggle. I think he is what he is. He allowed one pressure though, in forty-two dropbacks in against the Giants. True, but the Giants um, didn't line Jason Pierre-Paul up against him, and when they did, the Seahawks countered with a tight end. Um, beside. Uh, there, so he so they were double teaming him, and it's really a, a matter of the fact that the Giants just don't have a great front seven outside of Jason Pierre-Paul, Ethan Posick. I was actually impressed. He came in, he played every other series at left guard, and then uh, for what was it three plays when Justin Britt was out, uh, he played center for those three snaps. Should he and, be the starting left guard for the Seattle Seahawks? He should be until Luke Jokel comes back. Yeah. I, you I, know, Golowinski had a pretty decent game. I mean, he, he only allowed a pressure as well. One pressure, no sacks. Yeah. Both of them actually played really well. And I was surprised that uh, the Seahawks were able to get such a good performance out of two different guys at the same position <laughs> with the way that they're rotating and all that kind of stuff. Now, well, it is the Giants. Yep. Now, um, to me, I, I look at pass blocking, and that's that's kind of what I was looking at. I mean, both of them I thought played played well. There were some problems in the run blocking, yeah, not getting we still to the have... second level, miss whiffing guys at the second level. And I thought Posick was better at blocking in space than Glowinski <clears throat> was, and that's the reason why I'd say I'd put stick Posick in there as the starter until um, Luke Jogel comes back. So, off, and I didn't write it down anywhere, but off the top of your head, how do we do in the run game this game? Do you know what we finished at and stuff? Well, I can tell you that uh, Rawls and Lacey both had 11 uh, attempts. Rawls had 36 yards. Lacey had 34. That's not going to cut it by either one, either guy. So this, that's 22 and that's in a game, And that's a game that we won 24 to 7. And granted, yeah. we didn't pile up those points until you know midway through the third and fourth quarters, but... No, but they had that sixteen play drive in the in the second quarter, and they had they just they were able to move the ball in the first half, even though they didn't score uh, uh, points. But they had twenty two carries. That's a lot of carries. So if you think about like if Marshawn Lynch ever had twenty two carries in a game, what would we expect? We'd expect him to be at one hundred and twenty five yards, you know, one hundred and thirty yards somewhere in there. And Seattle's running backs had seventy, yeah. seventy out of those twenty two carries. It's just not enough. They're, they're just not 
the running game just isn't there. What do you think about using McKissick a little bit more? To, to, I mean, he had some touches, but it seems like they could use him a little bit more in the, in the game to kind of uh, spread it out a little bit. Well, he had three rushes for 10 yards. The problem with McKissick is he's such a gadget player. Um, when they bring him in, you know it's either going to be a pass or a run to the outside because every time they've tried to run him up the middle uh, since he started you know, suiting up for games, it's been... It's been like uh, he has no power. He can't g- run through an arm tackle inside. So he it, it he's very gadget player-y. But his you know three three uh, rushes for ten yards. That's you know that's about the same as the other two guys. Especially when you consider the fact that McKissick had a ten yard run. So the other two rushes combined for zero yards. So. It, I just don't see giving him running opportunities as something which is going to generate a lot more consistency in offense. And the Seahawks have kind of agreed, as you've noticed, that Tyler Lockett, of all people, has been getting a lot of running opportunities the last couple games. He had three in this game for 15 yards. It seemed to me, though, Keith, that in retrospect, looking back at those, that at least two of those were to set up that flea flicker play. Yeah. I mean, they're trying. They're trying to get. Um, they're trying to get uh, opposing defenses to to move. Be careful right. and wa- watch the watch the edges because you got a guy with Lockett speed coming around the edge and or, or McKissick speed coming around the edge. They, they are looking for that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, that flea flicker touchdown was fun. Yeah. Was, so let's talk. Fun. Let's talk about that for half a second. I totally agreed with the call. I mean, I, you could predict that call right at the very beginning of that. Now I understand that why the Giants would be upset at that. I mean, if I was the Seahawks and that happened to me, I'd be upset with that too, especially if my guy came down with it in the end. But when you have to take a look at the rules and the way that the, the play is, uh, came, came out, um, it, was a, it, was, it was a catch first and then a, kind of a simultaneously coming down with it as both players' feet hit the ground and then started to go to the ground, so that's a completed play. And at that point, that's when the that's when you have to rule it. And at mm-hmm. that point, it, they were still simultaneous possession. That's a touchdown. That's it. A touchdown. The, the yeah. play is over at that moment. It doesn't matter what happens after that. You know, yeah. they they argue that uh, he stepped out of bounds. You know, but that was after what I just described. Yep. You know, and then uh, their player came out with it at, in the very end. But that's you know, ten seconds after the play is over. Yeah. That's after the call's been made. Um, and so it, it doesn't matter. I mean, you look at that. That was a... That was a great play. It was, it was a fun. great play. Uh, Richardson, it's another one of those weird deep throws by Wilson because Richardson was like seven yards beyond the cornerback. And Wilson hung it up there just a little too long. And yeah. Collins was Collins was able to get back and in position. But, you know, Richardson stepped in front and... Um, you know, went up for it, got the ball, and then, you know, but Collins had position, so he also got the ball. But part of the the reason why that would have held up, even if it was re- uh, reviewable, was that Richardson actually got his body in front of Collins. And so yep. when you're looking, you're looking at possession, it's not that Collins caught it and then um, Richardson got his hands on it. Because then you'd say, well, possession was first. Richardson was in front, so his hands yeah. got to the ball. Okay, so that description yeah, so. doesn't fit the uh, the Golden Tate uh, fail Mary 
uh, call a few years back where the defensive back was able to get his body in front and yep. and as they were coming to the ground, Tate was reaching around the defender to have his hands on the ball. The, so how do how do you explain that then? Well, the difference with that call, one, I mean that's the reason why it, it's it's called the fail Mary, and and it's it's a famous play it's because. Um, you know, most people are convinced that that the referees got the, the the call wrong. I actually don't think so, and it's I agree. You can't, if you look at any of the angles that are often shown, man, the common yes. description. It, it look, it looks like Jennings got the ball first, and then yeah. um, Tate got it. But if you look at there's an end zone angle, yeah, which was which absolutely. was not part of the broadcast, but it was it was filmed by. The local station, I believe yes. it was Q thirteen, yes, you know the exactly, Fox affiliate, Keith, exactly. And and you see Jennings go up to get the ball, and he gets kind of gets his hands on it, and his left hand comes off, and so he's got one hand near the ball, and Tate's got a hold of it, and then the the only his left arm is just flailing around, and then finally he grabs onto Tate's bicep. And that's as close as his left hand ever gets to the ball. Um, and he Jennings never actually had possession. And so that's why I think in that particular case, you had to give it to Tate and the Seahawks. But from the, all the other camera angles, right? I can see why everyone is like, wow, that, you know, and you that's... couldn't, and you could have made, you couldn't have made that call live. I mean, realistically, I don't think that that really oh, had to be slowed down and really looked at. And I, it still wasn't clear. I mean, you had to go with the call on the field and that's really what it came down to is it was called a yep. touchdown on the field. And that was the only reason that call stayed that way. If it would have been called an interception, it probably would have st- stayed it as, as an interception with yeah. with the play uh, re- uh, replays that they had at the time. Yeah, because like I said, it's the only one where I think that it's definitive is that one which was not part of the broadcast. So it wasn't part of the replay system and it wasn't part of um, any of the national narrative or, you know, coverage of the game because it was just filmed by one of the local guys. Funny, Keith, I had had that still image from that Q13 uh, video of the the moment that uh, it showed Tate having possession. You know, and it's just mm-hmm. one of those things that, you know, everyone's going to argue a different way because nobody has ever really seen that or didn't really pay attention to it at the time. So anyway, a couple more players I want to talk about really quick. Uh, Doug Baldwin. What do you oh, think man. of Doug Baldwin? Baldwin had a massive game. He had nine catches for 92 yards in this game. And the key thing was that most, I think seven of those catches came on third down, and he turned six of those seven third down catches into first downs. We well, had a and touchdown a lo- out of that too, but he had that sixty-three yard overthrow by Wilson that would have added another oh. touchdown. I mean, that would have been that would have been ten catches for one hundred and fifty yards. Yeah, I mean it, that was the type of game he had, and it was. I keep saying this, and I keep saying it, and I keep saying it, and I I hope people understand just how phenomenal he is. If you go back and watch him play, watch what he does at the line running. of scrimmage. This is crazy. To get because teams yeah. will come up and they'll press him. He wins. He'll win a that sixty-two yard route. He won it at the line of scrimmage because his release off the line is so good. It's special. I mean, it is. It is really, really fun to watch. And as a guy who just who watches a lot of film or whatever, I'm like, I. 
other than maybe Antonio Brown, who does a lot of the same things, but he's just a little bit faster. I don't think there's any receiver in the NFL that is that good at the line of scrimmage as Doug Baldwin. It's he is so much fun. Yeah, no, he's a special player, special talent. And he passed a he had a couple of records that uh, you know uh, franchise records that uh, he either tied or passed this this week too on those catches. So I think one was a touchdown total for career in Seattle. I think he's now in a who did he pass? Gosh, I'm I'm losing my mind. Is it Bobby Ingram that he passed? I think maybe. Yeah, um, I think he's in that. He's in that like third uh, place or something all time, something yeah, like that. If he continues to play in Seattle for his entire career, and especially if Seattle becomes a little more pass friendly uh, at some point, he's going to be one of those guys that's second only to Largent. Yeah, he's gonna he's or and he's gonna get close enough to Largent to where we're gonna be like, does he belong in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, because he's <laughs> right? he's, he, he's gonna just keep inching closer. Especially like, if he get can, if we get another can, Super Bowl win, there's a lot of players on the bubble like that mm-hmm. where they've they'll have two Super Bowl wins and then you start racking up the stats. Pretty soon, those players get start you start talking about uh, four or five players instead of you know two or three players that are locks for the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, guys like Wilson that are, you know, have a trajectory of Hall of Fame. But if you put two Super Bowl wins in there and another Super Bowl appearance and he starts racking up some stats, he's in the conversation. Obviously, Sherman and Thomas are there in the conversation. Guys like Chancellor that have really impacted the, the way the strong safety uh, is played in the NFL. He's got two Super Bowl wins and another appearance plus you know, just the reputation alone. Um, Bobby Wagner. Bobby Wagner. Guy can fit in there. And then you throw Doug Baldwin in there like that. Um, yeah. Pete Carroll. Pete I'm Carroll. Not a player, but, yeah, no doubt. but just his, his impact. When you have, when you have multiple teams coming out and saying, we're going to start running Seattle's defense, like, like yeah. the 49ers did. Right. I mean, that tells you what, that just tells you the impact that he's had from a coaching standpoint. So this this is a special time to be a Seahawks fan. And we, let's face it, we deserve it. We lived through the 90s. Yeah, and the 80s and the 70s. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did. You know, it's, uh, it, is, it is a great time. And, you know, you can, uh, and we do, nitpick at uh at the things that are are not perfect and uh look at the record at four and two and nitpick a little bit um but you're right i mean this is a special team special coach special players all the way around um we have some we have a chance every year to put ourselves in a position to win not Mm -hmm. only just win games but uh, win playoff games and um there's a lot of t- when you look at like uh, when you look at all the the teams that uh, say ESPN or Hawk Blogger or whatever has in their their top 32 teams right and they rank them yeah oh the power rankings right rankings. the power rankings and you look at the teams that are at the top of those rankings and let's say the top 10 you know all but two of those teams are pretty much interchangeable and then there's New England and Seattle that have been there year mm-hmm. in year out for the last five years. You know, and I would say you got you throw in Green Bay in that Green Bay a little bit, but even less. I think even less so. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is hurt, so you don't have to include them now. But they're a team that's there every year. Um, But yeah, it's it's Green Bay, it's Seattle, it's 
uh, New England, maybe Denver, although they're having kind of a down year now. But right, uh, that's there. There isn't this. There's kind of the upper class of the NFL, and the Seahawks are definitely in that. And that is awesome. a nice place to special. be. Special, and it's it's fun because we are used to not being in that position. One more player, Jaron Reed. I think he had oh, a great game. He had a tremendous game. Now, and people are going to look and they go, oh, well, he was the one who caused the fumble um, that uh, Frank Clark recovered that kind of ended the game. Um, but he had a great game on top of that, just yeah. getting pressure. I mean, Seven he tackles, was two tackles for loss, that sack that forced the fumble. Yep. And he was in there quite a bit, uh, disrupting the, uh, the throwing lanes and the pocket and all that good stuff. Well, and he had a there. There was a I think it was a screen pass that he sniffed out as a defensive tackle and just started upfield. Saw what was going on. You could see him just plant his foot to follow the running back, and as soon as Darkwa caught it, he just got clobbered from behind by and by a three hundred and thirty pound nose tackle. And when you see a guy like move like that and just do those little things. It, you know, it makes it really hard on the opposing team. He, Jerron Reed was a big reason to why the, yeah. the Giants were not able to ever get anything going, especially in the wow. game. Wow, and the Giants, yeah, exactly, Keith. The Giants came in to this game with 300 yards combined rushing in the two previous games, and Seattle allowed 46 yards and zero runs over nine yards. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, and then you combine that with what we did to the passing game. Uh, that's crazy. That's a complete game by your defense. So Eli Manning was under 50% passing. 19 of 39. Under 50%. Only 134 yards. And yeah. most of those came in garbage time at the end of yeah. the game. Well, if you take a look at the third and fourth quarter when uh, New York was trying to come back, pass after pass after pass was uh, thrown into coverage. Like, he didn't have any real open wide receivers. And the passes he did complete were tackled right away. I mean, the yards after catch, I, I don't know the stats, but the yards after catch in this game had to be close to, uh, you know, none or one yard or two yards at the most. Yeah, there was one catch and run by the tight end, Ingram, where he had um, a lot of yards after catching it. and it was, But that was, again, it was at the end of the game in garbage time. Other than that, yeah, the defense was able to just get up and get their stops. So one more player I want to mention before we move on to the uh, to our next game. Uh, what in the heck is going on with Tanner McAvoy this year? And and let me ask you this. The, the play has been so bad. Special teams play at receiver, et cetera. I mean, maybe not special teams completely, but he's made some bonehead plays. Um, it's it's such a big regression. It's like falling off a cliff. So, what do you think? And and are they still interested in keeping him around? And I mean, are there any other receivers on our practice squad that might be able to come up and take his spot and be more effective? Well. I'm not sure it's a regression so much as it is a larger role. We're seeing him in more situations, playing more, and so therefore we're seeing more mistakes. When he, like last year, we only saw him a couple of plays a game, and when he would make a make a big play on those couple of plays a game, we're like, wow, this guy's got some talent. Now we're seeing him more, 
and he's it's not it hasn't been a good look for him. So I don't know um, whether it's truly a regression or just a lack of development. Um, as for I mean they like what he does in special teams. They like his height. Sorry about all the coughing, by the way. Um, they like his height. They like his speed. They like the things he does um, as a gunner and his ability to come up. And he almost blocked a punt um, in this game. And then, unfortunately, he got kicked in the head. And that led to giving the, the Giants the first down because of running into the kicker. But, um, you, you know, know I was, would say that he's only one or two plays away, a big plays away, like nice completions, touchdown receptions and he, from getting back in favor because, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't have a, a too much of a role, but it, to me, all those kind of plays stand out more because he really hasn't had a lot of successes this year to counteract those sorts of, of issues. So I just yeah. curious what you thought. The one guy they have on the uh, practice squad uh, at receiver is uh, David Moore, who was the, um, uh, seventh round pick, and he looked really good in the preseason. He did. Is the guy, but I I just think that McAvoy offers them those. He does uh, that special teams play, and for the fifth receiver on a team, um, a guy they don't need a lot from because Darvin well, stepped up. Really and big I can the last I can tell weeks. you what if they don't re-sign Jimmy Graham, they get they're going to need a big a big style. Team. You know, you could almost be hit, be an H back kind of a guy. Um, mm-hmm. kind of a role for him. So uh, moving towards the Houston Texans game, Texans come in to the matchup with a record of three and three, Keith. They're in third place in the AFC South. They have big wins against the, the Bengals, Titans, and Browns, and losses against the Jaguars, Patriots, and Chiefs. And in retrospect, all of that seems to line up and make sense. I mean, the Chiefs and the Patriots and the Jaguars have um, really good teams. Bengals, Titans, and Browns, you could argue the Titans are a 50-50 team, but uh, they went and took care of business there. Uh, who are the Texans and what should we expect from uh, their rookie phenom quarterback, Deshaun uh, Watson, their 12th well, overall pick in the uh, 2017 draft? I'm going to tell you, um, I was surprised that Watson fell to the ten- or the 12th pick. I, I just don't understand what the people didn't like about him. Um I get he doesn't have the biggest arm, like the he doesn't have a lot of ball velocity, but it's well above, um, you know, that minimum threshold. But everything else he does, everything he's able to do is was high quality. I mean, he was he was the best quarterback in this draft class, in my opinion, and he fell to the twelfth pick, and then the Texans were smart to go get him, and. It, it is one of those things where he is a guy that he is a rookie. He'll make rookie mistakes, um, but he's supremely talented. He throws well on the move. Um, he does a lot of the little things that you want in that type of offense that will make it good because they're an outside zone uh, running team, and he can uh, peel off and throw you know on a bootleg coming the other way, which keeps defenders at home and that kind of stuff. So he does a lot of those things that really help the outside zone running game. Yeah, you know, the the thing with Houston for me on their offense would be consistency um, for a duration of an entire game against the Seahawks, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to be a real challenge for Watson. Uh, rookies um, have a really hard time against Seattle. Uh, you know, any quarterback is going to have a hard time against Seattle, but especially a rookie with the way that Seattle 
just smothers uh, wide receivers. Um, I don't know. I could see a, a few sacks in this game, I think, just uh, coverage sacks. But uh, we do need to pay attention to Watson. He leads the NFL this year in 15 touchdowns, despite not starting in week one and not throwing mm-hmm. for a score in week two. So the guy's been prolific. And he's got plenty of playmakers around him. He's uh, got a lot of weapons yeah, there. Yeah, Hopkins, Will Fuller, Lamar Miller, uh, Ellington, Ryan Griffin, uh, Donta Foreman, who I really liked in the draft as a running back, mm-hmm. as a kind of a power back. And he's given them about 70 yards a game. Um, so they kind of have a running tandem there. Um, they do run the zone, which we uh, are familiar with. So maybe hopefully that'll help our defense out a little bit. Um, but I still think that we we force them into mistakes as the game wears on. Yeah, especially if the, if the Seahawks can do something they haven't done all year and that score in the first half. And make it so that way yeah. uh, Houston can't just sit back and run and run and run and keep the score low and know that they don't have to go put up 30 points yeah. in this game. Well, and that's going to be the key. For, that's going to be their mentality, I think, coming into the game is playing down and dirty and low scoring and get themselves in a position to win at the end. I mean, yeah. that's what I would do. Um, what about what can we expect Seattle's offense to face, Keith? Um, well, see, the thing with uh, Houston's defense is they, they've, got some, they've got some great players, and then they've got some weaknesses. Um, they're not as strong in the secondary as um, other teams are, but they've got a, a pass rush that makes up for it. Now, J.J. Watt's hurt, and that is a, um, that's a big deal because with him and Clowney both coming— um, Mm-hmm. That that's something that the Seahawks just don't have the ability to stop. Um, but they are they look like they probably will be able to stop us versus the run. I mean, they really get a lot of penetration on run downs mm-hmm. uh, to blow up uh, plays. They kind of that's kind of their thing is they blow up run plays, and yep. uh, Seattle's been very susceptible to that. So I'm not sure if we're going to be able to establish the run or not in this game. The Seahawks haven't established the run yet this year, so I'm not really concerned about that. They're going to try. They'll fail. And Russell Wilson will have to th- throw the team to victory, which that is what happens. That That is the 2017 Seattle Seahawks. Is they try and run. They can't. Russell Wilson has to throw them to victory. And yeah. that's not necessarily uh, a problem for me because I think that you have a an offense that, or, that can handle that. And so when I look at, at the way that this game is going to go, I mean, I don't see a lot of rushing yards really by the Seahawks in any game. But in this game, I don't see a lot at all. So if you're going to create rushing yards, it's going to be through getting McKissick on the outside. It's going to be uh, the end arounds to Tyler Lockett. You cannot lean on... Thomas Rawls and Eddie Lacy and expect them to have a lot of success running up the middle. Yeah. The only thing that you could do against an aggressive run defense team is to use that aggression against them. And the zone blocking scheme is kind of designed to do that. And they could definitely uh, create some lanes using that aggression. Um, and we'll just, we'll see. I mean, I think you're right though. The game plan has got to be on the armor. Russell Wilson. I mean, 
uh, it just is. It just is. And But, you know, let me ask you this. Uh, at the beginning of the year, this is one of those home games that we had on the schedule where you were a bit concerned. You thought that Houston would be possibly good enough to steal mm-hmm. this game. Uh, do you still feel that way? I do. They're, they are, they're a good roster. I mean, they've got a lot of weapons on offense. They have a quarterback that's not going to make a lot of dumb mistakes. Um, I just see, like, you know, the teams that beat the Seahawks do so with an offense where they can dink and dunk and, and, and you know, convert a lot of five, six, seven-yard throws underneath. And the, the Texans seem built to do that. You've got guys like uh, Nuke Hopkins and Will Fuller that can stretch the defense out and create those spots underneath where they can um, do that. And they're just going to be able to extend drives and keep Seattle's offense off the field so they yep. can't get in the rhythm and keep the defense on the field. And it's just going to be tough. Yeah, I think conversely, you know, Seattle's going to rely on their uh, their defense to stop the run. They, they mm-hmm. want to stop the run in this so they can force... Again, and this is a reoccurring theme throughout the year and probably will be all year, so they can force the opposing team's quarterback to make plays. And the best unit on Seattle's team is their secondary. And their yep. second best unit on their team is, you know, their their defensive line and linebackers. You know, so, I mean, Seattle's defense is legit top two, top three in this league right now. And... Um, it's going to be hard for any team, hard for any team to come in and move the ball against the Seahawks, and it, you're going to end up having to be perfect. I mean, it's one of those things that Seattle's going to require Houston to have uh, eight to ten play drives sustained over the entire game. And when you do yeah. that against a, a team like Seattle, you're against a rookie quarterback. You're going to end up making mistakes. You just are. Mm-hmm. And those mistakes are going to result in turnovers, and those turnovers are going to what's going to be making the difference in this game to me. And special teams, I think the special teams uh, for Houston is is one of their poorer units overall, and I think we can take advantage of that. So yeah, I see I mean, Seattle coming away with like a twenty seven thirteen victory. Wow! So you think it's going to be a fairly easy uh, win? No, I don't think it's going to be easy. But I think we're going to pull away. This is again one of those games similar to New York, similar to every game we're in. Really, where the first half we kind of slog along, feel it out. Um, there's not a lot of explosive plays on either team. In the second half, we take advantage of and we wear them down, and we start to score, and our defense continues to shut them down. Okay, well I can see that. Um, I'm thinking it's going to be a little closer. I think it's going to be more like twenty three twenty. I think it's going to be, um, you know, one of those games that the Seahawks have to win it at the end, and they're a team that knows how to finish. So um, I just don't see the Seahawks being able to pull away because I don't think the offense is going to be able to have enough success to consistently move the ball against Houston's defense. I just I still don't trust the offensive line, and when I don't trust the offensive line, I don't believe they can uh, keep keep having the success um, play after play after play where they can string drives together. Yeah. It'll be, I mean, all games in the NFL are usually close. I mean, Mm -hmm. statistically like 70% of them are within uh, seven points or or less. Yep. And so, but we're at home. Um, We're on a three, we're on a three game win streak. We've Mm -hmm. got some momentum. I think things are starting to come together for the offense. I mean, if you really take a look at that New York game, and that was a great game. 
Um, even though we didn't score a lot of points in the first half, we still put up t- 222 yards of total offense. Um, Russell Wilson is starting to really find his rhythm. He did have a few over- overthrows there, but they seem to be correctable. I mean, he's definitely proven it in the past that he can connect on those. And it, if they take some shots down the field in this game and connect on them, we could run away with this game. But I don't, I don't see that happening, but it could happen because I don't see their offense being able to move the ball too much on Seattle. I think if we turn them into a one-dimensional team, there's going to be a lot of three and outs or, or six play drives that result in us getting the ball back. Yeah, I can I can definitely see it. Um, you know, it's the the thing is that the Seahawks have to win the field position battle, so they need enough out of the offense to continuously pin um, Houston deep, where they have to they have to go eighty yards or or ninety yards to score. Because if if yeah. you're asking a team to go eighty or ninety yards to score, they're not going to score. They might get a couple first downs, they might string together a drive, but the the drive will eventually bog down and they'll have to punt. Um, so the Seahawks have to be able to do that. They need enough out of the offense that you're not giving Houston a short field over and over again. Yeah. I just don't see Houston's defense being that dominant. I mean, they're dominant up front and then everything else is sort of marginal. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they've got Zach Cunningham, I think, is a rookie inside linebacker. He can play sideline to sideline. There's no question about it, but he's a rookie still learning the oh, game. Oh, and he'll make, mis- he'll make um, mistakes. Um yeah, that hopefully the Seahawks will be able to. Uh, and like you, yeah, and like you said, their their uh, defensive backs are susceptible. I think uh, Russell Wilson's going to be able to find targets, and take advantage of this game. So, I mean, it, you know, it's the NFL, and it can mm-hmm. happen. We got turnovers and bounce balls and all that good stuff to contend with. But I feel comfortable in this game. Uh, probably slightly more comfortable than I did at the beginning of the season because I think our team's starting to build upon its successes and i think that will continue so anything else keith before we we call it a show Let's call it a show before i start coughing some more and and re- okay, really turn this good. into um a, a, a problem <laughs> i don't want to make everyone sick by coughing on my you're microphone. coughing you're coughing and sneezing so much that, that people listening are going to catch that's what i was saying i mean yep. yeah so let's let's go um thanks everyone for listening and joining us on the show today um, you can follow Keith on Twitter at Myers NFL bills at NW Seahawk. Uh, you can find all the social media stuff on the links on our website at hawksplaybook.com and, uh, listen to us and subscribe on blog talk radio and iTunes and all the other apps out there. So have a great week enjoy the game on Sunday and we will see y'all next week. Thanks again. Hey, Hawks fans. Thanks for listening to the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or Blog Talk Radio and listen to all of our shows on hawksplaybook.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at Hawks Playbook. Bill is at NWC Hawk and Keith is at Myers NFL.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.